Waiwata Pukia, Tena Tatukato. Nice to be with you here tonight. It's um, lovely to have Josisi, my uh, biggest fan, um, here as well. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, Josie ever tells you a story about him coming here because of me, it's not true, but it's a good story, uh, nonetheless. Um, so I'm really excited to kick off the series about five marks of mission. Um, I remember Rose speaking about this and being placed on her heart um, late last year, and so really excited to see how God will work through the series as we uh, progress along it. Um, as Rose kind of mentioned before, um, we're embarking on this 10-week series of five marks of mission. Um, if you do the math, that's um, two, one each mark twice. Uh, so two weeks to each mark. There you go, good at math. Um, and, and if you're able to, I really encourage you to join the season on Guy Day. I think um, that's kind of where I found um, my, like, started my connection into your blueprint, um, especially with people like Michael, um, particularly. And so, yeah, really um, encourage if you can get along to one of those to, to try to get along to that. Um, now, um, before I... Oh, I have slides. Oh, they gave me a clicker, which is incredibly dangerous. Um, the slides are very... Um, you see the slides. Um, now, before I um, speak specifically about the five marks of mission, I want to actually frame up um, what mission means. Um, I, I remember I went to a... Um, in Auckland, um, as a teenager, I went to this quiet Pentecostal church, and we went to this youth church um, um, camp, with this camp, and we had, as the keynote speaker, um, this guy who was, you know, like, I'm trying to teach us about the gift of prophecy. <laughs> trying to teach us about the gift of prophecy, and he would um, come up and um, pray for everyone, and, and he invited his group up to pray for them and prophesy over them. And everyone got his mean prophecy, someone got a, you're like a flower growing out of the desert, which, great, um, great prophecy. And then he comes up to me and he just puts his hand on my head and says, mission, mission, mission. And I remember getting back to my seat and saying, what the heck does that mean? Like, where, the conception of mission for me at that time was just being sent to, like, some far-flung distant land, right? Um, and so, I guess what I wanted to do um, before we start on the series is to maybe peel back the onion, which is the word mission. Um, and um, so, I have three points, which are going to be highlighted on this beautiful slide. Um, and point one is that God is already on a mission to bring their kingdom on earth. Did you know you could do that on PowerPoint? <laughs> God is already on a mission to bring the kingdom on earth. Um, God has always been on a mission to seek, to save, to redeem, and to restore. This is what we mean by Monsieur Day. Um, God's mission. God has a purpose and an intention for the world. God is already at work. Which leads to point two. I know, it's good. Um, God invites to, us to join in on that mission. It's going to be so confusing for the people to record again. They're like, what are people, what are people cheering about? Um, um, God invites us to join in on that mission. Um, to be the hands and feet of bringing about the kingdom to our community. Um, I love this quote by David Bosch. Um, I, I kind of summarize it because it uses quite... Um, wordy economic language, but basically that mission is our participation in the liberating mission of Jesus, believing in a future that seems impossible. It is the good news of God's love demonstrated to our, in our community for the sake of the world. God invites us, um, as my friend Anika Malloy um, says, to put on our kingdom lenses, 
um, to see the world as we they see it, and that this can be demonstrated in our community, even when it seems impossible. So point two is that God invites us to join in on their mission. And finally, point three, it's the same transition. Don't, don't clap too hard. Um, <laughs> Point three, mission must be sourced in God's love. I'm borrowing from David Bosch again. He says, our mission has not a life of its own. Only in the hands of ascending God can it truly be called mission. It's true. In a, in a world, um, and I'm borrowing from this Cultural Moment podcast, um, where we want a kingdom without a king, um, a lot of things can look like mission. But without God, it isn't mission. Like, just want to make that clear. Um, we, we must be not to... Sh- we must be sure not to confuse good work with God's work. The risk is that without connecting us to the source of God's love, mission can become our own projects. And our hearts can become hardened when things don't go our way. We must continually remember that we ourselves need God's love. So the five marks of mission are a way of our wider and confano um, have imagined um, the aspects of God's mission. Um, the five marks are not rigid categories, they're not exclusive rigid five marks of categories, but they are these categories that flow into one another. And if you read the seasonal guide, you'll see, um, with, when we are preparing it, we ask people to speak on one mark of mission, but you'll see through all the guides, people speak about multiple marks of mission in their thing, because it's, the reality is they all flow together as God's um, mission isn't these um, five individual categories, right? Um, but they're distinct, yet uphold one another. So while certain marks may come naturally to some of us, um, to one person or a community, we are called to each of them in season. And so it's um, um, my hope and our hope that um, we may be able to continue to be challenged and inspired to join in the mission of God through these marks of mission. Hmm. So that's just the framework, and I've got two more transitions. This one, which is incredible, and then this one. Dramatic. That's, that's all the transitions, so, um, no, no more. Um, <laughs> um, now, today I'm going to be speaking about the, the mark of mission um, to respond to human need by loving service. And how apt is it to do it on a, um, on a night with farewelling Michael and Lily? Um, I think if we just took all the stories, um, I wouldn't need to speak, so that's fine. I'll sit back down. But... Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, but I want to name that in this community is a mark that I actually see a real um, beautiful practice of. Um, but today I just want to bring um, maybe a little bit of challenge around like, and try to push us further into, into that as well. Um, just starting with um, Matthew 25, 34 to 40, um, Jesus speaks to his disciples and says that when the king comes, he will say, take your inheritance, the kingdom um, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did I see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did I see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and to clothe you? When did you seek or um, when, did you, when were you sick um, or in prison and I go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It is so patently clear from scripture 
that we are a people to be to respond to the human needs of those around us with loving service. And, and no more so than we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So today I'm going to um, share three um, things um, that I um, think can really highlight it in the parable and give us some insight into the mark. So I'm just going to get my glass of water in a second. Dry throat. Pretty awesome. Okay, pause for effect. <laughs> Um, so in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we have a Samaritan um, who is an outsider, this other, um, who stops to help a man after a Levite and a Pharisee walk by him, right? Um, most of us know that story. Now, commentaries seem to suggest various reasons why the Levite and Pharisees may not have stopped. Some suggest the um, Pharisee, um, if the person was dead, would become ritually unclean, so would have to clean themselves for seven days. Um, which is a long process, or more simply that there was a risk that they would be robbed as well, right? Um, but who does stop? It is the Samaritan, um, a person who is an other, a cultural other, which leads to my first point, which is that loving, loving service is costly. Whatever reason the Levites and Pharisees do not stop, the eventual answer is that it costs them too much to stop. It costs them too much to risk their safety. It costs them too much to risk their ritual purity. Yet for the Samaritan, there was also too a great cost. The Samaritan had to cross the boundaries to help a person who very likely despises his people. Yet he chooses to do so at that cost. In John 15, 12 to 13, it says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than this to lay down lives for one's friends. So how are we to love like Jesus? It is to love in a way that will break us. Because Jesus comes and dies for us, his body is broken, his blood is spilled, and then he says, love as I have loved, as I have loved you. That's a costly love. It is a love at a personal cost. It is to be broken and shared like bread and the wine. And this type of love is transformative. At Blueprint, we often talk about, you hear the phrase often, um, being loved back to life. And while I was preparing the sermon, I was just struck about how much that um, was something that was modeled to me by my parents as I grew up. Um, so I want to share one story um, from my, that I remember from my childhood. And, and it's a particular story about my, my cousin um, and my parents' costly love for him. And it's a very long story, but the short version of this is, is this. My cousin was going through a um, yeah, relatively rushed rough time and approached my parents, um, rough time financially, and approached my parents um, with kind of a proposal. Um, he is a, I'm not sure if he is now, but he was a car, used car salesman, and at the spec in Malaysia, by the way, um, and he wanted to start his own business. So my parents lent him the money to start this business, and they spent time helping him set it up, um, spent time counseling him, chatting to him. And they even recommend him to various of their friends who are looking to sell their cars. And what happens is that it turns out this money was being used um, improperly, um, basically to fund various addictions, including um, drug addictions, and, and the money all goes, right? And this eventually leads to a fallout with not only my, um, the, the money being lost, but also um, a fallout of my parents' friends. Actually, one of the friends um, they recommended to him still don't speak to them this day, to this day. And... Um, but my parents keep going back. 
they, I, I, I was talking to them about this, and they were like, they're very clear. They were like, we never brought up the money. Um, and I remember watching my kid as a kid, which I didn't really grasp the concept, but time and time again, going to see him, going to speak to him, going to counsel him, even after this. Um, and and I, 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 I know as a kid, I just didn't understand it. I genuinely didn't understand it. Yet they sat and continued to share this love for him. Um, a few years ago, we got a WhatsApp message from my cousin, um, and it was a WhatsApp message of him being baptized um, and him sharing about the redemptive and the um, redemptive love of God who heals. Now, not all stories end like this. Not all stories end like this. But all stories that end like this have a cost. For my parents, it was the cost of losing their friends or having their trust broken. But they do it because of their, of their love and the abundant, overflowing love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, speaking about costliness, I wanted to make a slight difference between difficult and costly. I think we can get those two concepts often mixed up. Um, so I, I tried to figure out what the difference was in my mind. But sometimes I, like, it can be both difficult and costly. And sometimes it's costly but not difficult. Um, and sometimes it's difficult and not costly. Um, and I was just thinking, um, this is an example that may embarrass um, one particular person in this audience. Um, Holly. Um, um, for example, um, um, Holly's my um, girlfriend, for those who don't know. And, um, and, and um, I'd say, I hope to say, um, that it's, um, it's not difficult for me to love Holly. She's an amazing person. And it's not difficult for me to love her. But it is costly for me to pour out my heart. It is costly for me to pour out my heart into a relationship. It's not difficult to ask someone how they are. Those words are not, not some people it's hard, um, and I understand that. Um, but for, for a lot of us, it's not difficult to say, how are you? But it is costly to genuinely care because their answer may break your heart. So point one, loving service is costly. Now, one thing that always struck me while reading this parable, even as a even as a young child, was where was the Samaritan heading to? Because in the narrative of it, right, he's not just walking around looking for robbed men on the side of the street, right? He's heading somewhere, and we know this because after he stops at the innkeeper, he gives him some coins, right, and he says, "I'll be back," right. Arnold Schwarzenegger quote. I don't know what that's that. Uh, I'll be back, right? Uh, he says, when I return, um, I will pay for the rest of it, right? So he's going somewhere, and he's coming back, right? And like us, he's heading somewhere, but he's interrupted. He's interrupted by the need of the man on the side of the road. So point two, loving service requires a continuous posture and a willingness to be interrupted. I believe that God invites us through interruption. And what is important is that we have a continual posture of a willingness to be interrupted. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and cancelling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by, preoccupied with more important tasks. It is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think that they're doing God a service in this, but actually they're disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. It's a beautiful um, way of putting it. God often interrupts me, 
which is what I blame for my poor attention span. <laughs> he interrupts me by drawing me to needs that he wants me to meet by loving service. Um, I think I, a kind of a caveat here is that it's been a journey for me to learn that God doesn't call me to meet all the needs, um, but he had definitely interrupts my day to call me to some of them. Interruption to God's invitation to fear from the path, to follow God's crooked yet straight path. To do so means we have to adopt a posture that is willing to be interrupted. Um, I have an analogy here. It's, it's going to land for like maybe um, 50% of the room, so I'll leave it. Um, I said, um, we must like, be like fielders in a cricket game, always ready for when the ball comes our way. The other 50% is Holly, uh, who I've been trying to explain the rules of cricket to, but she doesn't really get. She's like, why are there so many numbers on the screen? <laughs> why? <laughs> uh, yeah, we must, we must treat interruption not as an annoying pest that gets in the way of our mission that we're heading to, but the mission in itself. So point two, loving service requires a continuous posture, a willingness to be interrupted. <laughs> Now, if you are feeling like this costly, continuous love for others seems like too much for you to handle, um, you're right. It is too much for you to handle, or myself to handle, alone. Uh, which is point three, that loving service is a collaboration. It's a collaboration with each other and with God. Three C's, look at that. <laughs> It's really funny, very funny. Um, the Good Samaritan takes him to an innkeeper to take care of the man, right? We recognize that we can't be all things to all people, all the time. So we need each other, working together to respond to human need in our community. Now, this isn't just saying teamwork makes the dream work, right? This is a genuine need to rely on each other. We too have human needs to be responded to by loving service which is the profound beauty of this mark, right? We are recipients of God's mission in so as much as we are the participants in God's mission. I said again, we are recipients in God's mission as much as we are participants in God's mission. We respond to other people's human needs by loving service and other people respond to our human need by their loving service. We freely give and we freely receive. Um, in Ecclesiastes um, 4, um, verse 9, you guys will know this verse if you've been to any Christian wedding. Um, it goes like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. When we are on mission to meet human need with loving service, our human need is also met by those who are on the same mission together as us. And finally, we are in collaboration with God. As I said, um, when speaking about mission, our mission must be grounded in God's love. When we are broken for others, we might need to return to God, reminding us that it's their mission we have joined in, um, not ours. It breaks us such that we have need our cup to be filled by the love of God again and again, coming back to that well. Um, yeah, yesterday I called my parents to, to talk about a story. I wanted to get a permission to, to share it. Um, and one of the things they said was, they just kept saying, it was only through God, it was only through God. And there's this like, profound understanding that they couldn't have done it alone. There's a profound understanding that they couldn't do it on their own strength, that they needed God. 
And actually, I was just, um, I actually didn't clear this with Lindley, but um, I remember when Lindley, when I met um, Lindley early on, and I was in this community, and I just saw so much things, so many things going on. I went to the free store, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I came here, and I saw the love that was poured out in this community. And I said to Lindley, I was like, I don't get it. Like, how do people do it? How do people keep doing it? And I remember her saying to me, and I don't know if Lindley remembered this, but I said, I think they've really learned to rely on God for everything. And I remember this. I sat there for ages. Um, I remember just being profoundly challenged by that. The reliance on God for everything. So I pray that today, that in responding to human need by loving service, you may be broken so that Christ will be fill your cup up again and again, such that you will cry out, I need you, Lord. To the soles of my feet, the top of my head, I need you, Lord. So that's my three points. One, point one, loving service is costly. Point two, loving service requires a continuous posture, posture, a willingness to be interrupted. And point three, loving service is a collaboration with each other and with God. Mm.